0: Fred Film Radio, from Jewish International Film Festival, Sydney. This is Christiana Palmieri for Fred Film Radio from the opening night of the Jewish International Film Festival in Sydney. And I'm with Eddie Tamir, the Artistic Director. Good afternoon, Eddie.
1: Good afternoon, Christiana. Great to be talking to you um, outside in the sunshine on the balcony
0: of the Ritz. Beautiful day in Sydney today. Yes, it is. Look, Eddie. I would like to start talking about this year' program that includes fifty five Australian premieres of films and a TV series from around the world. I think this is uh, the the biggest ever selection of new uh, Australian films, right?
1: Yes, definitely Australian films. It's uh, it's one of our big, I guess, strands yeah. and one of our big achievements, which I suppose makes it makes our team uh feel um i guess affirmed uh in a really beautiful way because if creative people filmmakers um, feel like they want to premiere their film at gif and some of our films are world premieres not just australian premieres yes, exactly. of those australian films then that makes us feel that they understand that it's a safe place for their films that they'll, they'll be looked after there'll be good word of mouth there'll be good publicity an appreciative audience, and uh, it's taken us, you know, quite a few years to get to that. But this year is a bit of a culmination, yeah, uh, in that way.
0: Oh yeah, I can see the uh, browsing the program. Um, can we spend a little bit of time on the world premieres? I'm yes. I would like our audience to know about that for
1: sure. So, um, Revenge, My Dad, the Nazi Killer a very tabloid sort of title, yes, um, but it is uh, at the same time a really high quality film. It's by a prolific um, Melbourne filmmaker called Danny Ben Moshe, and uh, it's just one of those you can't believe it's true stories that will should be translated into a feature film one day. So just for context... Late 1940s, many Holocaust survivors came to Australia on ships. Simultaneous and on those same ships, probably came hundreds of ex Nazis and Nazi collaborators. Some known to the, um, some not known and some known to the Australian government. So ASIO, the Australian spy organization, um, they in fact um, knowingly allowed in about 800 of these Nazi and ex-Nazi uh, collaborators yeah. um, and even though they had their full crimes against humanity files um, because Australia was in the groove of the anti-communist uh, yeah. battle yes. uh, they thought it would be better to help them with that than um, some ex-Nazis uh, who uh, did a good job for a while I suppose uh, against the communists so, that's a setup which is an unusual setup which has not been explored in Australia, in Australian film, I think not much even in literature. So, you can imagine that that landscape is very ripe. So, as it happens, uh, around 20 of these ex Nazis and Nazi collaborators died in unsolved circumstances in Australia in the late 50s. So,
0: like accidents or.
1: You tell me. (laughs) So what the film does is there's three brothers in Melbourne called the Green Brothers, and they are in their kind of 50s and 60s, and they're looking back and piecing together rumours and stories about their father and their uncle, who were Holocaust survivors, who were partisans during the Second World War and the Holocaust, who moved to Melbourne. And uh, um, the film tries to piece together... with some real evidence with a detective the exploration of uh, Boris and FEMA Green and their potential relationship to these 20 unsolved deaths Wow Yeah,
0: Just this beginning it's really interesting and uh, poignant
1: and deals with many things including if one's government is not according to you being just, what right, if any, do citizens have?
0: And taking their take... own of... yeah. Justice.
1: Yeah, what is justice?
0: Yeah. So this is the first time you said that this uh, historical context has been explored in cinema or even in literature, you think?
1: In Australia? In Australia. I think so. Yeah. Um, it's a very unusual circumstance. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's fascinating. And it also, what happened from what I know, even from my father, who came to Australia in the late 50s from Israel, you know, we're talking about like five to 10 years after the Second World War yeah. and the Holocaust. So the, the, the ex-Nazi or Nazi, whatever you want to call it, connections and beliefs were rife in Australia. So there were Nazi demonstrations in Australia, in Melbourne and Sydney in the 50s that were clearly inflaming and infuriating local Jews as well as survivor Jews that had just arrived. So there was all this tension going on.
0: You are depicting a situation that is not far from uh, what we have heard before in literature and cinema in South America. Right. With a lot of, you know, Nazi or Nazi collaborators uh, take refuge over there.
1: Well, but I'm not sure about how high a percentage of the Jewish population were Holocaust survivors.
0: But was in, uh, in South uh, America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, this film was premiered, uh, um, is premiered at JIF? That's right. And what about you know, global distribution.
1: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we just had a big coverage in The Australian that yeah. spread on the weekend about the film and we're hoping that, you know, uh, for the filmmakers that uh, GIF is a good experience for them yeah. and it gets picked up internationally. I think they're they're working on that as we speak. Fantastic.
0: Good luck with that because that would be a fantastic story to be spread globally.
1: And the other big one is the world premiere of um, what's called The Jewish Nazi? Question mark is the title. This is our closing night film. It's by Sydney journalist and filmmaker Dan Goldberg. Again, the world premiere um, is our closing film. And um, again, one of the you can't believe it's true stories. So um, Alex Curzum, six-year-old boy during the Holocaust. Family is murdered. He hides on his own in the forest. He's adopted by a Latvian Nazi army battalion and he becomes their mascot so there are photos with him with full Nazi uniform and machine gun etc etc and um, there's a book written about the mascot which is called the mascot which was a bestseller Alex Curzum then is adopted post-war by a non-Jewish Latvian family and comes to live in Sydney of all places Uh, he then moves from Sydney to Altona in Melbourne and spends the rest of his life in Melbourne and the, re- the other thing that he does for the rest of his life is search for his identity because he doesn't know his surname. He was a six-year-old boy. Yeah. all a bit not clear um, who he is, what connections he has left on Earth, who he is. And so there's many red herrings and many twists and turns as he looks to establish, um, I guess, who he is. Oh,
0: two very interesting uh, premieres. Congratulations for securing this two. Yes. GIF. There is another... Uh, uh, section of GIF that is really something that I really care about and uh, the short films uh, that you present. So I know that GIF continues the tradition of funding New Jewish Filmmaking Voices via uh, this GIF Short Film Fund. So what does the program showcase this year?
1: Yeah, so it it is slightly expanded this year, which is exciting. Um, And so we also have um, six world premiere shorts yeah. in the program. Um, so we have a slot um, which is um, has five of these shorts with the filmmakers presenting, two of them funded by our Short Film Fund, which we normally leave it at that, but then we had applications from filmmakers with new films that had never been seen before, obviously, so we've included them as well in the program and all um, filmmakers uh, making films on Jewish themes and, uh, we, yeah, we're very excited to be presenting it. There's another slot of a 30-minute short called Sasha's Game. Sasha's Game is of note. There's a Sydney director called Lexi Gordon, um, and she's uh, made a, uh, a film based on uh, a Melbourne writer, Anita Selsa's book about her father's Holocaust survival story uh, masquerading as a young girl. Uh, so it's a 30-minute film, and they you know, it's, it's going very well and we hope that they live out their ambition uh, and you've helps on the path to translate that short film into a feature film, which is, their, oh. which is their ambition.
0: Oh, fabulous. That's good to know. And another part of the program, which I'm sure our audience wants to know about because it's really kind of unique, huh? um, films in Yiddish. Yeah. And this year you included two.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Tattle
1: right. and Burning of the page. Yes. So um, it's fantastic to be... You now, we, we usually do uh, uh, a restored Yiddish classic.
0: Yes, I remember um, that. Which is, obvi- just,
1: which is yes. obviously generally silent movies of the 20s yeah. and then movies of the 30s, and then clearly a lot of the Yiddish-speaking population of the world were murdered. So Yiddish has had, you know, um, a difficult time blossoming and growing but in fact there is a bit of a resurgence of the yiddish language and the yiddish culture uh and filmmakers uh and musicians uh klezmer musicians and beyond jewish and non-jewish are are kind of exploring the yiddish language and trying to be, be part of its revival yeah shtetl is amazing in its own right forget about the the exotic nature of the Yiddish language um, it is a full length feature film in the Yiddish language and there's probably maybe one a decade yeah. that comes along it's in black and white and interestingly and a bit weirdly it's done in one shot so the whole film is in one shot so a shtetl is um, an East European village uh, in rural areas of, of Eastern Europe often Poland and um, Uh, and what is today the Ukraine and Belarus Um, and you know it's it's a rural village life Um, and what's beautiful about this film is it recreates the positive elements of shtetl life and all the different um, tribes inside the shtetl and I mean different Jewish tribes, so you have the ultra-Orthodox you have the secular humanists. You have the Bundists, which were the Yiddish-speaking um, non-Zionist Jews who were into the culture of Yiddish and the music and living in the diaspora and living that out. Then you had the Zionists, and you had the Communists, and you had the whole spectrum. So the film explores that very vibrant life, and also the the um, the the Christians that were living, you know, around the shtetls as well. So. Um, It does a beautiful job of this, and they recreated a whole shtetl, built it from scratch in what is today's Russian-occupied Ukraine. And uh, so it's kind of multi-layered. Yeah. um, And it's a beautiful film, and one of the films that I think is one of our most special. Yeah. Burning Off the Page is a documentary. Um, It's niche. Um, I really like it. It's about a... um, A Yiddish poetess called Celia Dropkin, who wrote erotic Yiddish poetry in Europe and then moved to America and continued her creative expression um, in America and it follows her story.
0: So, is this film, did this documentary from uh, uh, the US?
1: Yep, Burning Off the Page, absolutely. Um,
0: And then I would like to move to. The, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you would call it the centerpiece of the festival, but stories about the Holocaust, poignant story about the Holocaust are always very uh, relevant for Jeep, of course. And this year there are a couple of films which are really uh, very poignant and powerful. Stella Alive and Philip. Tell us more about these two films and you sure. know, how the so, Holocaust is portrayed.
1: Sure, So let's just um, step back a fraction. Um, and let's talk more generally about the fact that the Holocaust is tragically a film genre there's comedy there's drama there's gangster there's war there's mumblecore and there's Holocaust as a genre which is if you think about it a crazy thing so we're often asked why people why people keep making these films um Many people over the years have said to me, you know, we've had enough. How many Holocaust films can there be? We've got Holocaust film fatigue. uh, And they question their relevance of those films in contemporary society. First of all, Jewish and non-Jewish filmmakers are choosing to make these films in general for the last, you know, 50 years. So they obviously feel that these films can teach people that anywhere, anytime... If one is, and a society and a, and a single human being is not vigilant, racism can explode. And these films tap into the deepest human fears of abandonment. What has been going on, um, you know, there's many angles to it and many points of view and many different cultures involved. But from a Jewish perspective, the October 7 massacres in Israel and then the rise of the worldwide... Anti-Semitic wave in the last couple of weeks is, and the conflation of those two things is mind-boggling. Um, as well as, um, clearly pressing all the trauma buttons embedded in the Jewish DNA. No one's asking about the relevance of Holocaust films today.
0: Yeah.
1: So moving to the films. I just want to talk about a centrepiece because I'm not sure if you're up with it because it's not in our printed program, but yesterday we announced our actual centrepiece gala film and it is called The Zone of Interest. Yeah. And it won the... I've
0: got the, email.
1: <laughs> won the Grand Prix for the Best Director in Cannes this yep. year. And it is being described as a masterpiece and I think will probably stand the test of time as one of the one of the most important Holocaust-era films. So that's our centrepiece on the 19th of November, um, and uh, we're very proud to be presenting it. So to Stella, A Life, and to Philip, two of the big Holocaust films of the year. Stella, A Life, is based on a true story. Stella Goldschlag um, was a, a young Berliner in the literati artistic world of Berlin pre-war, jazz singer, Dreams of going to Manhattan to, you know, live out her dream uh, and the war hits. And, you know, in order to facilitate her own survival and her parents' survival, she makes a choice, which is to become a catcher, in inverted commas, which is a term for Jewish people that would dob in other Jewish people to the Nazis to be picked up and then dealt with. So
0: Personal gain, like... Freedom
1: or possibility to stay alive. Yep, I guess that's the choice she was facing. That's the choice she made. Um, Clearly, that's very loaded. Uh, Was loaded then, and is still loaded now. And there was a best-selling book called "Stella Alive," which this film is based on. It's actually being released. Films are releasing. It hasn't even been released in Germany. It's about January next year. It's Mm -hmm. being released, Uh, and it's very strong. And it follows the journey of Stella's story during the war and then post-war when she's taken to court um, by the Allies for collaboration with the Nazis. Philip is um, another powerful survival story about a Polish man, based on a true story, uh, was in the Warsaw Ghetto with his fiance. She's murdered in the Warsaw Ghetto. He goes into hiding... Um, and manages, I'm not even sure if the film deals with it, but he gets to Berlin to work in a high-class hotel as a as a waiter. And it's his survival story, and and the trauma that he's in at the same time is what he does to survive.
0: And I read something about this character because it's a real story, and apparently it was a polyglot speaking a very many languages which helped him to survive.
1: So that was one element, and he was also... Um, clearly, very attractive to females. And he um, uses that power in a very kind of angry and unusual way.
0: Manipulative, also. Yeah. Beautiful story, great film. Eddie, I have one last question for you, which is not necessary about the program, GIF program, is more about, you know, contemporary issues. So, One of the strengths of JIF is to offer a program that tackles past and present historical and political matters from different angles and giving space to different voices. And this provides a very balanced interpretation of contemporary issues related to Jewish culture and history. How do you build the festival program to achieve this goal? This must be a very complex balance to achieve. Sure.
1: So we, we, have a, we have some criteria. So I guess the overriding criteria is our red line, which we don't cross, is anything that we consider hateful, inciting and or deceptive. So that's our red line. Our general philosophy on diaspora stories, as in films outside Israel, is that they are stories that have Jewish theme, character and story. Films that are in, uh, set in Israel, um, clearly, um, and couldn't get hotter, wilder, and more controversial and more loaded than the weeks that we're currently in. But our, um, philosophy in general, and it continues, is that because Israel is the cold face of Jewish history from whatever, 1200 BC, um, Anything that happens in Israel resonates with Jewish experience, and that includes minority voices and minority stories. So we make a big effort to find, seek out those films um, that do that in a way that we think doesn't cross any red lines for us. A couple of examples of those um, is a film called The Future, was premiered at Tribeca this year. Very powerful film um, about a an Israeli Jewish woman um, who works uh, as a psychologist and 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 I guess statistical modelling to work out when there um, is likely to be a terrorist attack and by whom. There is a terrorist attack by a young Palestinian woman, and. Clearly, it means her model didn't work. And she then interviews, over a series of weeks, this young Palestinian woman to try to understand who she is. And in that process, they develop a relationship and arguably learn quite a bit from each other. So I guess that's an example, I think, of what you're asking me. Yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you for your answer, because what is interesting to me uh, is when we chat about GIF. It's not just about the feels, but it's also about uh, framing uh, uh, films uh, into you know, a bigger scenario. And I'm really grateful that you did this again this year. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time, Eddie. Good luck with GIF. And GIF opened last night in Melbourne and is opening tonight in Sydney and is running nationally in Brisbane, Canberra, Gold Coast, Hobart and will close in Perth on the 6th of December. I've been talking to Eddie Tamir, the artistic director of the Jewish International Film Festival, and I'm Christiana Panieri for Fred Film Radio, the Festival Insider. Fred, Fred, Fred twenty-four-seven on Fred FM and smartphone app.